right, there's technical difficulties. It's my first day, so that's still an appropriate excuse. Um, as you can tell, this is uh, lesson number eight in our series of success, and this is obviously the topic about work. I want to give thanks to both Matt and Yancey for letting me have the opportunity. I volunteered for this last weekend when Matt said there was an opportunity to preach, and I like to, I like to preach when I can. I like to get the opportunity and share God's word with you. Um, there's, there's a rumor going about that I'm actually a good preacher, and Matt believes this because he drove halfway across the state of Texas to come hear me this afternoon. So we'll see if I'm good or if I'm bad. Um, let's see here. Here we go. But we're, co- we're covering work today, some, obje- some objectives. We're going to talk about what it is, where it came from, what's it good for, work ethic, and the application for it, since Matt and Yancey are very uh, hard on that here. They want to make sure we always have an application in our studies. Kind of like what Kyle led off with, we, again, live in a society that values the exact opposite of what Jesus commands. It was family and fathers with Kyle. Well, this is with work. And unfortunately, you see it in some Christians and Christendom, Work is just not the value that it once was or what it should be. And I firmly believe if Christians can excel in this area, we can create a chasm or a canyon in between the world and us, and we can really have an opportunity to shine the light for Jesus Christ. God created work. If you look in the garden, Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. This is our first job. We were gardeners, tree trimmers, shrub trimmers, etc. like that. Here is a picture of Central Park in New York City. This probably takes some good effort to maintain. This is not just, oh yeah, I'm, I just work at Central Park. It's like, wow, you have a, man, that's a good job. You probably work real hard. You cover a lot of distance, drive around on carts or something like that. Back then they obviously rode horse or something. But you drove around and took care of it. It was a job. This was work. This wasn't just, I do whatever I want all day. So I want to make sure that when God created us, in the sixth day, he created us to create and work in his image because he was a creator. We get it, and now we create. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to make something new. You can create value for someone like teachers. Yancey doesn't create anything new at his job. He manages companies who then can create something like supervisor. We have engineers in here. We have another coach. You don't have to actually physically make something to be creative. That's just what it is. You're created to create, though. You're doing something to provide value for someone else. My example, I'm a boiler inspector. I don't make boilers. I make sure that it's working correctly so that it can provide value to a hospital, office building, or millions of people that rely on the grid for it when I go to a power plant. So you're created to create. We all know what happened. We fell. And here is the words for it in Genesis 3, 17, 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, curses the ground for thy sake, and sorrow shalt thou eat of all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and to unto dust shalt thou return. So what was cursed in that? Did you pick up on it? I was asking people the other day, what was cursed in the fall? The first word out of their mouth is work. I was like, that is incorrect. And they're we got a Bible out and we opened it up and it's like, what was cursed? Was it man? Was man cursed? Here's the slide again and I have it in bold. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Now our toil, just like females in labor, childbearing, they have more pain. When our work, male, toil in the ground. Increase the pain for us, but the ground is what was cursed. We were not cursed. 
because we understand that Jesus would come. We're obviously not cursed in that regard. But when I think of toil, I think of Sean toiling in the fields all day. I have to point that out. Every time I talk to Sean, it's something broke, something this, something that. Something. It's like, man, he's coming out to help me. And I'm like, man, I, think, I don't know, man. I'm pretty comfortable in my apartment right now. I don't want don't to drive out there and do that. But this is the illustration I really want to show. And I talked to Sean about this uh, Monday, Tuesday at lunch. Work in the garden. It was still work. If you've ever paddled slowly down a stream, you still have to do a rudder, left or right, maybe go to a turn. It's easy, though. It's still work. If you've ever paddled all day, you're tired at the end of the day. Well, what is work now? It's a dog-eat-dog world, isn't it? It's vicious. You have to work constantly. You're exhausted after only a few minutes, maybe 30 minutes. You're exhausted. And I think these two pictures can really show what illustration I'm trying to show. The man is still in a canoe, and he's still safe, life jacket, etc. But the condition that he's in is different. One is calm. The other one's cursed water, raging sea around you. So I really want to get that as a good illustration of what I think God is showing us in Genesis 2 and 3. So what is a Christian to do? What is a Christian to do? You're going to, I'm going to go back to created to create and reorient yourself with God. Here's a picture that I bet no one knows. Maybe some of the music people will recognize a picture of him. But that is Johann Sebastian Bach. And yes, I was listening to him while I'm making this sermon. I think he's the greatest composer of all time. But if you look at his artwork, artwork, his, his music scores, he always would put that in, the, in every bottom line of every single score. And if you can't read it, it, it reads, Solo Deo Gloria, for, for God's glory. So uh, you, you don't need to read Latin to figure that out, I think. It, but I have it as written, it is glory to God alone. And everything you do, you do it for God. Glory to God alone. Every single time he wrote a music sheet, he'd write that on there. Reorient yourself to God. The other guy I want to show, not because of his beard, but because of what on the right he made, is the Gutenberg Press. We all know his name's Gutenberg. We know him for that. But about 1450, he made this. And this is what his quotes were about his press. Let us break the seal which seals up the holy things and give wings to truth. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about the Bible. In order that she may win every soul that comes into the world by her word, no longer written at great expanse by hands easily palsied, but multiplied like the wind by an untiring machine. He understands the curse of Genesis 3, the tiring, the toiling, and he created a machine to help us make it easier to spread the word. He oriented himself to God, and he created work out of that. He understood that. The second quote, Yes, it is oppressed, certainly, but a press from which shall flow the inexhaustible streams of the most abundant and most marvelous liquor that has ever flowed to relieve the thirst of men. We might not call the Bible liquor, but back then, like alcohol, that was a safety factor. You put alcohol in almost all their food for safety because of germs. So alcohol could have saved your physical body. The Bible can save your spiritual body. Through it, God will spread his word. A spring of truth shall flow from it like a new star. It shall scatter the darkness of ignorance and cause a light heretofore unknown to shine amongst men. Gutenberg knew what he was doing. Sebastian Bach knew what he was doing. Turns out in 1517, Martin Luther nailed a thesis to a door we all know about, Protestant Reformation, because of Gutenberg. Martin Luther never gets a Bible without Gutenberg and printing off hundreds and thousands of Bibles. And within one lifetime, 
the church could restore itself in the restoration or reformation. If you do not give your best efforts to God, why would he bless your efforts? I think it's a pretty straightforward question. If you're not working for him, why, why would he bless you in that regard? If you're going to do things halfway, I don't see how that God is going to bless that effort and that work and whatever you're doing. People that do it the other way, that remove God, we call them workaholics. This is where the dichotomy between the hustle-hard people, the daily grind people, and Christian is. Christians, we do have other things that might be more important than work. We heard a lesson this morning about family. If work is causing an issue with the family, then you need to taper down on the work. Because family is more important, the spiritual blessings of the home. That's the difference between a workaholic and us. There is a dichotomy there. I know a lot of Christians read a lot of those self-help books about work, work, work. That is not necessarily the right path. You need to make sure you're oriented with God first. This is the New Testament scripture that is scripture that is always quoted. Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, and singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. This is that same scripture with the highlighted parts of Jesus Christ or God and the highlighted part of working unto your master. As you can see, there's five parts that are highlighted in red and only one part in blue. Clearly, Paul is trying to get this point, drill this point home. You work for the Lord, you orient orient yourself to the Lord, and then as long as your master, as well as your master. But make sure the importance is with the Lord first and then your master. Too often, the world thinks, and unfortunately, some Christians think that success is getting praise of men or the rising up the corporate ladder. I firmly believe if you do orient yourself with the Lord, you will get blessings and you will succeed. You might go up the corporate ladder, you may get a pay raise, etc. like that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that is success, because that is a lot of times just more work and can separate you. So separate yourself from things that really matter. Work. This is a story of Nehemiah 6, 1 through 3. If you're familiar with the story in the Old Testament, they're coming back from Babylon. This is the time frame of Ezra and Nehemiah, a governor and the priest. And they come back and they need to rebuild Jerusalem, the temple, the wall around the city, and the city itself. And when Nehemiah, this is the story of Nehemiah as he's building the city wall. Now it came to pass when Sambalat, Tobiah, and Gershom, the Arabian, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left therein, Though at the time I had not set up the doors upon the gates, that Sembalat and Gershom sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief, and I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? This is a very clear story that even something as a menial task, what you may consider a menial task, especially in today's society, very important to God. But you might be saying to yourself, well, God didn't tell me to lay brick or build a city wall or build anything like that. But did God tell Paul to be a tent maker? I know at the Damascus moment he told him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. 
but I didn't hear anything about being a tent maker. But when Paul was stationed at some place on his spare time, he went and worked. He went and worked and made tents. Did Paul tell Peter to be a fisherman? I know nothing of the Bible that says that. Please, if you know that. But I know Peter was a fisherman, and Jesus approached him. And the first thing out of Peter's mouth is, Depart from me, I'm a sinner. So Peter was clearly oriented in some way with the Lord before he met Jesus. Joseph, the only thing he had was some dreams where he would be in charge. Well, then God took him through 40 years of toil and butlery and slavery and dungeon torment. But Joseph did all his jobs, and we read about that, how successful he was at his work. Because Joseph could only rely on God in those situations, and God blessed him for it. King David was the runt of the litter. He was a shepherd. He was given the menial tasks. There's a, there's a story when his older brothers go out to war, and he shows up, and they tell him to get out of here because you have menial tasks to do. You have to go shepherd. Go take care of those things. Well, we read in Psalms that David was a good shepherd. All the sheep that he's given me, I have kept. Right? We did it for the Lord. Jesus Christ had work himself, John 4, 34. His work was to do the work of his Father. We understand what that work was. Finish the salvation of his creation, that's us. That was his work, we understand that. Everyone has work, to job, to a job to do. We should treat it as such, it's very important. We were created to create. I want to keep saying that over and over again, created to create. If you drill that into your mind when you're at work, you can be able to understand. It's like, I'm providing value. I'm helping someone else. I can shine my light for the Lord over and over again. Do you, this is the application part. Do you think your boss won't notice about your work and your work ethic? Here's a, here's a corporate boardroom CEO. I got these images off the Internet, obviously. But I just have an example. I'm going to use Yancey as an example here. So just say Yancey goes on one of his trips, Cabo, Vancouver, et cetera, where he meets with a bunch of other board members, guys that hire management. And they're sitting there at lunch one day. They're sitting there just talking and talking. And one of the managers next to Yancey is just really happy. He's got a smirk on his face. He's just really happy. Everyone's just assuming maybe he was in the black this year, so of course he's happy. He made a lot of money. But Yancey's like, you know, why are you so happy? Why are you so chirpy? And he's like, boy, I got to hire some Christians today. I finalized the deal. They're Christians. I got to hire them. Of course, Yancey's like, man, I'd be great. I'd wish to hire some Christians too. I wish I could get my hands on some Christians that work for me. Why is that? We should work harder. We just don't take sick days just because we want to take sick days. We don't steal from the company. We don't saddle other people in the company with our work. When we say we're going to do something, we do it. People should love to hire Christians. Like, man, you're a Christian? I can't wait to hire you. I know you're going to help this company grow. You're going to help this company serve other people or create what we're doing. That is, that is the mentality if Christians were to really work hard that they'd get from their bosses. They'd, hey, you have any other Christian friends you know of? Bring them down here. I want to hire them too. In Proverbs 22:29, Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. You shall not stand before mean men. That's almost the exact example I was just using with the antsy. A boss, a king in this case, the Bible uses a manager, someone that's high up, will notice your work ethic. They'll notice what you're doing and how you're acting, etc. 
But if you don't, you'll stand before mean men. You're going to stand before the refuse, the lower class people. And that's what usually what in a lot of stories, parables, in, um, in Proverbs about that, about lazy people and what happens to them. In Proverbs 18.9, who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great, a brother to him who is a great destroyer. This is what happens when you're lazy. You become a destroyer to other people. You might have them work extra hours. It might affect their life. It might affect their family. And you can really cause harm to other people. Navy stories. People love my Navy stories. So I always try to throw one or two in. When I was in the Navy, it was 2007 when I was baptized, Sheila. That made me realize that. I'm, I just made first class. So I was transferred from one boat to another boat because of the Navy billet system. You have to have so many people per submarine. And I got there. I was the junior of eight first classes. So there's eight people that, were out, that could outrank me, even though we were actually the same rank. So I was the junior of them, time and rate. In one year's time, I was their LPO. And I was literally ordering them around all day, every day. How did that happen? I'm not smarter than any of these people. We're all nukes. We all have the same scores on our tests. How did that happen? Work ethic. The way I went about my business. I was a Christian. I gave up on all those horrible things. I went about my business the right way, positively, good attitude, etc. And became I rise right up through the rank. Proverbs 10.26, As vinegar is to teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a lazy man to those who send him. I have never drank vinegar before, but I know what smoke does to the eyes. It's irritable, irritant. Makes you cry, very painful. So what is a lazy man? He's an irritant. I've had to fire people before. Not a good place to be when you're about to ruin a 20-year-old's life for the rest of his life. You don't get rid of a dishonorable discharge. Your life is, in effect, over. I'd imagine, Yancey, I don't know if you can hire dishonorable discharge people. No. You can't do it. Your life is, in effect, over. And I've had to do that. Because he's lazy. It wasn't a bad attitude. We could fix that. I could fix that. It's the Navy. It's military. We could fix attitudes. <laughs> but you couldn't fix lazy. You just can't do it. And if they weren't trying their best, you just can't do anything about it. And they've had to end the young man's career. I hope it worked out for him, but I don't know. And people see that. People see if you're being lazy or not. I wasn't, I wasn't the only one. The higher-ups came down on me. It wasn't just me saying it. And when I made that decision, that decision went all the way up the chain as well. Other people see the way you work, how you act. This is my resume. I pulled this out, and I think this needs to happen to every single person's resume on here. Uh, this is the bottom part of my Navy training, and then I have education, which is not updated because I definitely am a college graduate. But uh, under interests, I have Christianity. I'm not uneducated. I'm, like, I'm a college grad. But the very first thing I have is Christianity. Is that on your resume? Is Christian on your resume? If it's not, it needs to be, because you're a Christian first, right? The job I have now, I firmly believe is because of Jesus Christ, and I'll tell you the story. 
It was August of 2010, and I was getting out in September, and I flew down to Houston. So it's a job interview, right? So I'm in a full suit, Houston, August. Bad idea, right? Well, job interview, so I show up in a suit. The, it would be my boss and my boss's boss at the time. They meet me there, and they're in, like, just loose shirts, jeans and loose shirts, and they're like, oh, I forgot to tell you. should have just told you to wear jeans and a shirt. I was like, no, it's fine, job interview. So we're driving back to their office. You know, it's a 30, 45-minute drive. It's Houston. It takes forever to get anywhere. And I have my backpack with me. And he's like, why did you bring your backpack? You didn't really need it. You emailed and faxed everything you needed, all your paperwork. And I was like, oh, I, I like to read a lot. Everyone knows who knows me. I travel with one book. But he's like, so what book are you reading? I was like, well, it's, technically it's 66 books. And he's like, oh, you're a Bible reader. And I was like, yes, sir, I am. I knew at that point that I got the job. He's hardcore Baptist, but that's fine. Whatever. I don't, I don't work with him. <laughs> but Christianity came up in my job interview. Now, I'm a Christian. And we went back to do the formalities of the paperwork. And I was hired the day, a week after I got my EOS date, October 3rd or something like that. Because of Christianity. I said I'm a Christian. Proper perspective of work. If you have the proper perspective created to create, I believe you will succeed undoubtedly no matter where you're put in life. Here's Ecclesiastes. This is Solomon, often considered the wisest man of the Bible. In Ecclesiastes 3, 12 through 13, know that there is no good in them but for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. Do we consider work to be a gift of God? Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 19, he says it again. Behold, that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of his labor, that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to him God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. This is the same Solomon who wrote in Ecclesiastes, everything is vanity, everything is vanity, everything is vanity, everything is vanity, everything is vanity. And then he goes, except work. Work is a gift of God. So do you have that perspective? Do you understand that you're a created agent? Do you understand who you're working for? Do you understand that work is a gift of God? The song we're going to sing is Give Thanks. That's the one I requested. It's Give Thanks, right? Do we give thanks for work when we pray? I know I didn't this morning, and I'm giving a sermon about it right now. And I totally forgot about it. But I don't think we do that enough. We often give thanks, and I did this this morning, about our possessions and how blessed we are to live in this, in this country. Well, that's because of the Protestant work ethic. <laughs> right? It's one of the reasons that's really separated the United States from the rest of the world. Work. So if this uh, sermon has affected you in any way and you need to come forward at this time, please come forward. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks.